Welcome back, Padawans, to episode 28 of the JMR Podcast. I'm your host, Jelani, a.k.a. Jedi Master Ren, and I'm going to take y'all on a trip to a galaxy far, far away. On tonight's journey, we'll discuss Crystal Dynamics and Eidos Montreal retaining some of their IP amongst the sale from Square Enix, PSVR 2 not being compatible with PSVR games natively, and Sony's state of play that happened this week. Some Falcon sweeping for you. If you like way, if you like me talking to myself each and every week about games, use the force and rate the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to help it reach more Padawans. You can follow the show on Twitter at the JMR Podcast to get any updates on schedule changes or when a new episode has been posted. There are also links there for you to send in hologram audio messages to be featured on the show as well. Now, longtime listeners already know this, but I am a Zox ambassador. Zox is a brand of elastic wristbands that are very rare, and they can be very rare depending on this, uh, the one that you get. But I found this company about, uh, I would say, about four years ago, four or five years. No, ooh, I, I apologize. Oh, geez. At this point, it's almost 10 years. I think we'll be 10 years in uh, 2024, maybe even... Yeah, probably 2024 is 10 years. So um, I am a Zox ambassador, which means I want to spread the love of this brand to you guys. So if you go to that site, Zox.la, um, you can use my code Jelani40328. Again, that is J-E-L-A-N-I 40328, and you'll get 10% off your next favorite strap. Now, let's jump to hyperspace. <laughs> Alrighty, guys, so now that we are safely in Lightspeed, I would like to first touch on my Jedi trainings for the week. So I haven't really gotten into a lot of games this week just because I've been um, kind of getting into other things um, in my free time. But when I did have the chance um, on my two days off and um, uh, some nights after getting off of work, I would uh, hop on Apex. So I've got some buddies at work that have been um, playing Apex together and they've been trying to get me on. And I finally took the plunge this week to kind of hop in and play with them. I felt like, you know, I had some things that I wanted to do, but I was like, you know what? I, I haven't been, I haven't played with them in a, in a minute. You know what I mean? So I was like, I, I think that's really kind of where my head's at. So um, jumped into Apex and this is the first time that I've actually really played Apex for any extended amount of time. You know, so like when I've played Apex in the past, I've only done maybe, you know, three matches at most. And then I've hopped out and I haven't done anything else with it. So I haven't really had the chance to, you know, get the mechanics down, understand what the um, different ammo is, what the different guns are, what they do, stuff like that. Um, but, you know, I am a real fan of Titanfall. I'm a huge fan of Titanfall. I wasn't really, you know, um, a big fan of the first one only because that was a straight multiplayer game. So I never really actually played the first one because, you know, I, th at that time, that's not what I was about. But when I heard that Titanfall 2 had a story mode, I hopped into that wholeheartedly. I was like, because I really wanted to play Titanfall, but I just knew I was not good at multiplayer. So I wasn't about to succumb to that, to, uh, to that level. You know what I mean? But with Titanfall 2, it has a story mode to it. So I get in there and it is, I'm telling you to this day, one of the most memorable first person shooter stories that I have ever played through. Because I'm again, I remember uh, vividly parts of that game, the entire mission where you have this device where you can go back and forth between time. One of the best ways of using that kind of mechanic, and I think it's been done before, you know, that time skip or time jump in a game before, but it's never been done so fluidly and so elegantly as they did in Titanfall 2. And that's why, you know, Respawn really came on my, or really got on my radar after that game. 
And then, you know, as we see them progress and then we see them, you know, they're the ones who are making the uh, Jedi fall in order, which is the first, you know, not the first, but first in a long time, single player, like straight up single player Star Wars experience. And I was all in. I'm like, you know what? They These guys have been doing wonders with Titanfall and Titanfall 2. I want to see what they can do outside of the first person, you know, realm, you know, let's see what it, what they can um, offer and what they can bring to the table with the star Wars IP. And obviously we all know now they can bring the thunder. So they are very, you know, they have a lot of different things that they can do. Taking on apex, for instance, was a very hard change for them. And it was something that caused them to have to kind of go back to the drawing board and understand how a games as a service works. I think we're seeing that right now with halo infinite and that team trying to understand how you know they're going to make halo a games as a service you know game that people are going to want to stick with um in the months to come and it's not an easy thing to do we've seen destiny struggle with it we saw fortnite struggle with it but eventually they started to understand what their audience wanted and continued to give them that same thing and not even the same thing but continue to give them similar things that are going to you know um expand their their need to want to be in this world so for me it personally, Fortnite. I jumped into Fortnite right when um, the Marvel uh, season started. I think I started maybe, I think it was a little bit before then. I do think I started the season right before then when I kind of started playing with my brother. And then we started hearing things of the next season being straight Marvel. And that was, I was like, there's no way. There, I, I, I can't, I don't believe that. Sure enough, it was. And that's now, you know, I completely fell in love with Fortnite and I was playing it not building I did not build a single um you know um structure while we were um trying to you know play the game I only used my gun skills now did I win all the time no I did not because I was doing that method but you know what I was having fun and I got to play as these different characters and unlock these characters and that's really what kind of get got me to progress further and obviously now they have the no build mode and they continue to add more and more of these uh collaboration and these characters to the game which now you know i was talking to um the same buddy that was playing apex with at work and i'm like look the reason i like fortnite is not because of the building it is because i get to go into that game and i can be darth vader i can be obi-wan kenobi kylo ren a number of characters from um from the star wars that i've accrued over the years uh, any, uh, all of the characters from Marvel, pretty much, um, any of the characters that, uh, are from different games and stuff like that. Like I could just hop around and play anything. It's like picking up, um, an action figure when you were a kid and being able just to run with them. Like, I don't want to play with that anymore. I'm going to go with something else. I literally do that. I think I switch my character out every single time when I was playing, um, while playing Fortnite, but going back to apex, it's this issue that they have where they're having to understand or they had to because they get it now that's the thing i didn't understand how they have multiple different maps while also having this games as a service model and the thing is these maps are big it's not like these maps are you know tiny or small or insignificant these are decent sized maps but there's multiple decent sized maps and this is the kind of effort that you know they had to learn and they had to put in 
to get the game to be like this. And this is why a lot of people are gravitating towards it. I'm hearing that it's even good on mobile. I do have not, I, I'm on the list for a Steam Deck. So um, as soon as that drops, I do. Ha I already have uh, Apex in my library. So then I can start playing it on there with my buddies. And that way I'm not having to uh, take up a screen to play it. I want to see how playing a multiplayer game will work on the Steam Deck. If, if it, you know, it's going to lag or whatnot. Um, but that is something that I'm very much looking forward to. So then that way I can kind of play with these guys pretty much wherever I'm at. You know what I'm saying? So um, Apex is very much uh, a fun game. And they've actually gone and done the work to make it that fun. You know what I mean? And But, you know, playing this Battle Royale made me want to jump back into the game we were just talking about, which is Fortnite. And that's the other game that I kind of touched on this week as well. And then we'll touch, we'll um, end on the last one that I... I think you guys will find actually pretty interesting. So um, go back to Fortnite because it's the new season this week. And on the ad, while they were ramping up to, you know, release the new season, I see a mysterious hand coming out of what looks like, uh, you know, Venom from from Spider-Man. It wasn't the Venom, but, um, or the symbiote, but it wasn't that. It was this, this, it, it doesn't matter. Um, but the fact of the matter is, the hand that was coming out was Spider-Gwen. And I was like, what? Are we getting Spider-Gwen in this next season? Sure enough, we are. But it's not just Spider-Gwen. We're getting Spider-Gwen from the Spider-Verse. So the one where she is like, uh, her hair is kind of shaved off on the side. And you wouldn't know that. Well, I guess you kind of would. You you would, because when I went back and looked at it, you could definitely tell that it does look like that character model that was in the movie. But I, you know... I didn't really realize it until I got into the extra rewards that happen after you get to level 100. And on the second page, you see you can uh, get a model of her without the mask on so that she act you can actually see, you know, her hair drip draping down. You can see that half of it shaved. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's the exact model from the movie. Super pumped for that. So I was trying to get a little bit ahead in there at the start of the season, as I always try to do, trying to get a little bit farther. But Unfortunately, because I was doing that, I couldn't get back into a game that I really was wanting to get into because I got a little bit distracted trying to get these challenges done. But um, that is Assassin's Creed Unity. Now, I'm pretty sure we've talked about this before and I've uh, mentioned this on the podcast, but I absolutely love Assassin's Creed Unity. And I'm talking about in respect of, you know, there obviously is a line between Assassin's Creed games. There is the, the old formula and the new formula. Out of the old formula, this is my favorite game. I feel like they hit every single box that they needed to with this one, and they did everything perfectly. And I thought that, now granted, I didn't play it at launch, but I thought that when I first played the game, when I first played through the game on Xbox One. So funny enough, this game, um, when I brought it, and I, I was talking to my wife about this, I'm not 100% sure if I was playing the game with my buddy or if I had just shown the game to him. So like I either brought my console over and we and we were playing it and that's when he saw it or I showed him a trailer for it and that's when he saw it. But either way, Assassin's Creed Unity is what made that man go out and upgrade himself to an Xbox One. And he literally bought the um the edition that came with Unity bundled in it. So he was not playing around. And this game's not playing around either. I, the, the setting is fantastic. The dense crowds are amazing. Again, for the hardware that we had before. And then you see games like Cyberpunk and them not being able to handle it. Again, Cyberpunk has a lot more going on than Unity did, you know, back in the day. But the fact of the matter is you can pick up Unity 
and it still feels like a it feels like a game that it doesn't like it doesn't feel like it's as old as it is that's my point you know it does not feel like a game that came out i think it came out in 2014 either 2014 or 2015 that's eight seven to eight years ago it does not look like a seven to eight year old game now there are still some bugs you know like there are bugs i when i was walking in um or walking past a crowd uh of people i just randomly saw this dude planking in midair and you know it's it is what it is. I'm not really worried about it with the amount of crowd density that there is here. Yeah, I'm expecting to see a little bit of jank. But the fact of the matter is there's no real jank in the moment-to-moment gameplay, at least from what I've played so far. I played about five hours of it on the PS5. And the real reason that I actually got into this one is because I was looking through the catalog on uh, the new PS Plus, And I was just trying to find something. You know, I was just trying to look. I just Every now and then I like to go in there and browse and see what's up. Um, but I actually found out that they put Assassin's Creed Unity on there. And I I knew I heard about that, that they were going to do that, but I didn't realize that it had already happened. And when I did, I was like, huh, should I, should I play through Assassin's Creed Unity again? Or at least some of it, you know, at least like experience that, that feeling of like a, I, and again, in my opinion, a very polished, old school Assassin's Creed game. And I'm like, you know what, I kind of... I'm like, you know, let me let me look up some videos. Let me look up some videos on YouTube. So I go on YouTube and I start trying to see people's experience with it. And from my understanding, it's all pretty good. So I'm like, you know what? I think I'm going to take the plunge. I'm going to just do it. I'm going in. So I download it and immediately I was like, uh, I think it's it got ready to play in like, I think, you know, 10 minutes or so. And I was like, all right, cool. Let's start, jump in and start playing. And again, I love the intro of this, how it makes it feel like, or makes you feel as the player like you are just browsing like a um like a Netflix. You know what I mean? Like you're you have episodes that you can play through and stuff like that. Like I think that's really cool. I also think that this is kind of like a throughput into what they're trying to do with Infinity now, which is have a hub for all of these different Assassin's Creed stories in these different universes. I think that's what that, that that's similar to what they were portraying at the beginning of this game. And it's really cool to see that they had that thought there and they're trying to put it into actual fruition now. You know what I mean? To where it's actually going to be tangible and something that you actually can, you know, um, deal with and operate. And I, I just think that's a really cool concept. But the my main thing that I really like about this game is, number one, the facial fe- the facial animation still holds up to this day. Still. Still looks great. And the ru- the running down being able to just hold a button as you're uh, parkouring up and down these buildings, but you're able to hold square and you parkour down and you safely do, you know, your parkour all the way down as if you were to, you know, when you're climbing up the building, that was an amazing addition to the flow of just running around the open world. When I first played it back on the Xbox one and it still holds up today, it still feels that fruitic and it still feels tangible like something that was an actual you know great addition to this game now when we talk about syndicate i did like syndicate but i also don't think that it surpasses unity you know and it's weird to say that because of you know how viewed this game is from back in the day um of you know how buggy and how you know uh you know horrible it came out i i saw the images i never had to deal with any of that so that's why my 
viewpoint on this on this game is not tarnished and um but the actuality of it is that this game you know they they went there they tried to do something and i feel like they landed it and i just wish that they could have continued to go down this form factor but again we do see them trying to go back to that with assassin's creed mirage so hopefully assassin's creed mirage is going to be kind of like a successor to these older games that we you know as assassin's creed fans if you've been a fan since you know the first one or since Ezio, you know since the beginning that's going to be something that you're looking forward to is that assassin's creed mirage again just to, even if you do like the rpg aspects of the new games because i do it's not that i don't like that but i'm also intrigued with going back and seeing the old ways of how Assassin's Creed games used to operate. And again, that's why I'm really gravitating again towards Unity. I love the story of Unity too. I've always really liked it. And I just wish that, you know, for the RPG side of things, if they just made the story more like an origin story where we are still following this assassin and we're seeing their story play out, I feel like that would be a, a good balance and a good medium. I think I have touched on that before, but that's just kind of where my head's at with um, what I'm loving and what I take away from Assassin's Creed games. But those are my Jedi trainings of the week, guys. So now let's kind of get into our four holocrons of the night. All right. So the first one that we're going to get into is Crystal Dynamics and Eidos Montreal now officially own Tomb Raider and Deus Ex, respectively. This is coming from The Gamer, and this is by Vlad Mozenko. Now, when I first heard about this and when I first, you know, um, yeah, when I first heard this, I, I thought this is a win. This is a huge win. And I, you know, I had to talk about this because I find this to be, you know, this is a great business practice. And I think this is something that more companies should do. So let's get into, into this and let's see what Vlad had to say. Following Embracer Group's acquisition of Square Enix's former studios, Crystal Dynamics and Eidos Montreal. The two, move, or the two have announced that they are in full control of their game series, such as Tomb Raider, Deus Ex, Thief, and Legacy of Kane. The $300 million deal closed in late uh, August, resulting in Crystal Dynamics, Eidos Montreal, and Square Enix Montreal becoming a part of Embracer. In May, the company reported that it's interested in releasing sequels, remakes, and spin-offs for the studio's rich portfolio of various port uh, properties. Quote, We are excited to inform you that Crystal Dynamics has taken control of several game franchises, including Tomb Raider and Legacy of Kane, from the game's previous owner, Square Enix Limited, end quote, the California-based studio's statement reads, quote, As we've left Square Enix Limited and joined the Embracer Group, we are starting an exciting new chapter in Eidos Montreal's history, end quote, said Montreal-based developer. Quote, To put things simply, the big change is that Eidos Montreal, or its affiliates, is now the owner of the games it developed like the Deus Ex and Thief games, and the controller of the data obtained from the various gameplay metrics tracked in its titles, end quote. Interestingly, the studios didn't mention their latest Disney-licensed action uh, titles, Marvel's Avengers and Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy. This likely means that Embracer Group still needs further approval from Marvel and Disney to continue developing new titles based on that IP. Neither party has, neither party has officially commented on the case since the deal was completed. However, according to the, some reports, quote, Embracer are in the middle of working on a deal with Marvel that extends well beyond Avengers, end quote. So we'll have to wait and see to see what comes up next. All right, so that's all we've got there. But again, very interesting and very cool to see that Square Enix seems to be the company that 
is, you know, kind of laying the groundwork to show how a division of, you know, studios should go and how it should be handled. We see Square Enix doing this, like with IO Interactive and the Hitman franchise. That is a perfect example of how, you know, they had to split. They felt like this, you know, IO felt like working under Square was not the best route for their studio. So they decided, you know what, I think we need to cut ties. I think we need to, you know, go our separate ways. And Square let them have the Hitman franchise because they're the ones who labored over it. They're the ones who know that franchise. They're the ones who are going to continue to be able to put great Hitman content out into the world. Why should we keep it? Let's have, let's let you guys have it. There you go. Take this and you guys continue to make the good content that we know you can. And that is the same thing that I come and that I feel with the Tomb Raider and the Deus Ex franchise specifically. Because, you know, I'm not, I, I do know of Thief. I'm not a huge um, fan of Legacy of Kane. I'm mean, not a fan, but I'm not, you know, super knowledgeable of Legacy of Kane myself. I have played Thief. I do like Thief. So that's cool that they retained that IP because that means that we could potentially get a new Thief. And I'm actually, I would be excited and I would play a Thief that's in, you know, uh, on a current generation hardware uh, to see kind of what they could do with that. But to see, you know, the Tomb Raider, and Deus Ex. Again, Crystal Dynamics owns Tomb Raider, and Eidos Montreal, they're getting Deus Ex. That's the games that they both worked on. So it's very cool to see that, you know, they are going to continue to be able to use those IPs and continue to profit off of them and create content around that IP because they're the ones that know it, like I just said with IO Interactive. Now, the only thing I have to say is that both of them, both of those series have kind of ran their course at least with the tomb raider side we've kind of gotten you know I, I now i haven't played um shadow of the tomb raider so i don't know how um you know, laura cross story ends with this trilogy but from my understanding uh crystal dynamics wanted to be done after the end of um three after the end of the third game so I don't know where they plan to go next with Tomb Raider if they, you know, do decide to. It's cool that they have the IP again, but I could have sworn that they were, you know, planning to be done with it and, you know, moving to a different project. But again, Tomb Raider is a huge IP to, again, own. So yeah, you're going to probably make another game around that some way in some kind of fashion. Um, but then Deus Ex. Deus Ex is cool because there it's unlimited. You could totally make another game. They could make another game in that series that doesn't, potentially play the way that the original deus ex does you know what i mean kind of branch it off a little bit they can go there are different routes that um idols could go with continuing the story of um jensen and you know it maybe they don't even want to maybe they go and they talk about a different um you know uh pawn in this world who is maybe doing the same thing that jensen has to do you know is a private investigator kind of thing um and we're following him instead and then maybe that's why we see you know a gameplay shift and it's not so much of the um you know common collected gameplay or gunplay you know what i mean it's kind of more action oriented i think I, I would personally love more action oriented deus ex because i love the world i just don't really like the gameplay of it realistically that's kind of where i sit at with that but again very cool that square enix again shows us that they are they play ball with the studios whenever it's time for you know um them to part ways and they don't hold grudges at least in this respect now that doesn't change the fact that, you know, they were throwing a lot of shade towards uh, Ida's Montreal and Crystal Dynamics when they were trying to sell them off. But at the same time, again, 
we cannot deny that this is good business practice. At least that's what it feels like to me. And that's how I'm looking at this um, going in and coming out of it. So uh, that's all we've got for this. Let's move over to our next Holocron of the night, guys. So we have got news on the PSVR2. So as we've been kind of speculating and waiting on more uh, pieces of information to uh, come to light about the PSVR2, right now, mostly the price, if I'm being honest, like, come on. But as we've been kind of speculating things, the question lies, well, you know, with the hardware being so different and, you know, the sensors working in a different fashion than the way that the VR headset or the original PSVR headset worked, are the PSVR games, the original ones, going to be compatible with the new iteration of the headset? And if I got to be honest with you, I you could have asked me that question any day of the week and I would have told you, I mean, I would assume, yeah, just because that's a whole library of games that are now un inaccessible for people who are going to be dropping another, you know, four to $500 on this headset. You would think you'd want to give them all of the games that they could possibly play at the same time or, you know, um, at their disposal. But again, I can understand the flip side of that, of how difficult can that be when the headsets don't operate the same? You know what I mean? And VR is a very, um, very, I would assume difficult device to, you know, um, to develop for and to try to put a player inside of a game world. So there are specific things that they're trying to have to do for each headset. And that's why we don't see a lot of, you know, crossing over of certain kinds of games. And hopefully that changes with the PSVR 2. However, this is coming from IGN. This is on September 16th. Sony confirms original PSVR games are not compatible with PSVR 2. This is from Taylor Lyles. He writes, Sony has officially confirmed that PSVR 2 will not be able to play games originally made for the original PlayStation VR. In the latest episode of the official PlayStation podcast, at around the 2910 mark, SVP of uh, Platform Experience, Hideaki Nishino, confirms that the PSVR 2 will not have backwards compatibility with original PSVR games. Quote, PSVR games are not compatible with the PSVR 2 because PSVR 2 is designed to deliver a truly next-generation VR experience, end quote, Nishino said, before explaining some of the noteworthy features exclusive to PSVR 2, such as the haptic feedback and adaptive triggers found on the Sense controllers. Quote, this means developing games for PSVR 2 requires a whole different approach than the original PSVR, end quote, Nishino continued. The news seems surprising, but not entirely, as Sony created an adapter that allows you to play original PSVR games on the PlayStation 5. On top of that, last month, Sony Interactive Entertainment's Yasuo Takahashi and Kenjo Akiyama spoke about the PSVR 2's hardware and specs, noting that the broad strokes should make it easier to port games onto PSVR 2 from other VR headsets, original PSVR 2 and Valve Index respectively. PlayStation VR 2 won't be out until sometime next year, and multiple games have been confirmed to be in development for the headset, including Among Us VR and Ghostbusters VR, along with VR versions of Resident Evil Village, No Man's Sky, and Resident Evil 4 Remake. Additionally, first-party games Horizon Call of the Mountain and a sequel to Firewall Zero Hour are also in development. For more on the PlayStation VR 2, check out our first hands on preview. All right, guys, so that's all we've got there. And again, it's 
like what the article said, and I'm glad it like took it right out of my mouth. The news seems surprising, but not entirely. And that's exactly it. It does not seem like it's completely far-fetched that the games won't work on the headset. It's a little bit of a jab, though. And it's a little bit of like, dang, that sucks, you know, because I'm about to spend probably about uh, $450 on this thing. And I just don't, you know, like now you can't play any of the games that you've bought going forward. And again, yes, they can be ported over. That's cool. But you do know they're going to put a price tag on that. You do know they're going to have us and make us pay that $10 for an upgrade to the next generation of the game, which is, you know what? Fine. That's what they're doing now. It is what it is. How many games am I really going to want to play over on the new PSVR 2 anyway? Because I'm going to be wanting to play more games that are completely designed around the PSVR 2. That's where you're going to get the best and the highest, you know, experience that you can get and where they want you to be. So that's, I mean, obviously where uh, anybody, when you're first picking up a PSVR 2, where you're going to want to spend most of your time, but it does help if you've had the PSVR to be able to use utilize that library on the next generation of the headset. But guys, let us go and move over to our third and fourth Holocron of the Night. We're going to kind of talk about these two together, and you're going to understand why here in a little bit when we get there. But um, this happened, I guess, around the time that I was getting sick, because I didn't hear about this until sometime like this past week, where I just heard about it in passing, and I was like, whoa, 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 what? No, we got to be talking about this one. So, um, Troubled Star Wars video game remake shifts to new studio. This is from Bloomberg by Jason Stryer himself. The high-profile remake of Knights of the Old Republic will go to Saber Interactive in Eastern Europe. Now, obviously, we touched on a couple weeks ago that there was some trouble with the story or with the studio, um, Aspire Studio, and um, they were having development woes and seemed like uh, what Sony saw of the game was not, you know, cooking and they did not want what they saw. And there were some issues. We lost a lot of the higher up uh, developers there and they were discussing and or there were rumors and discussions that this game might be moving to a different uh, studio. They, we don't. What if Aspire can't aspire to do this? No pun intended. You know it's intended. Um, so let's get in here and let's see what Jason Schreier has to say about the situation. He writes, The highly anticipated remake of the video game Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic has a new developer after a bumpy ride. The project, formerly in development at Austin, Texas-based Aspire Media, is now being led by one of Saber Interactive's Eastern European studios. According to a person familiar with the change who asked not to be identified because the details are private. Both developers are owned by the Swedish company Embracer Group AB, which obliquely referenced the pivot in a public statement last week. A representative for Embracer didn't Im immediately have a comment. The transition shuts down any lingering hope within Aspire that it may be able to continue leading the project. Bosses at the studio, which had been developing the remake for more than two years, told staff last month that the game was on pause as the company tried to figure out what to do next, Bloomberg reported. The message left open the possibility that Aspire could one day reclaim a leadership role, but rumors quickly swirled around uh, among employees that Saber was taking over. Last Thursday, Embracer said in a financial report that one of its big titles known within the industry as a AAA game had switched developers but did not identify the game. Quote, 
One of the group's AAA projects has transitioned to another studio within the group, the company wrote. Quote, this was done to ensure the quality bar is where we need it to be for the title, end quote. Some analysts correctly guessed, based on Bloomberg's previous reporting, that the statement refer referred to the Star Wars remake. Embracer intends to recreate the magic of the original Knights of the Old Republic, a role-playing game that came out in 2003 to a great acclaim, and update, it, uh, and update it using modern technology. The game lets players create their own Jedi, wield lightsaber, wield lightsabers, and choose whether to follow the light or dark side of the Force, in a galaxy filled with complex characters and a rich story. Remakes have become common in recent years, but it's rare for a game to switch companies in the middle of development. Doing so almost always leads to major delays. The new developer must learn how to adapt to unfamiliar code and, in most cases, will revamp or at least modify previous decisions made for the project. The Embracer, or Embracer said it is not expecting any material delays due to the transition, but the game announced during a PlayStation event last year does not have a public release date and will likely take at least two more years to finish, people familiar with the development said. Embracer's stock tumbled on Monday after lukewarm reviews of an upcoming game, Saints Row, and it's down 28% this year. Still, some closed the project or still, some close to the project said they are optimistic this will lead to a better product. Decision makers at Embracer and at publishers Sony Group Corp and Walt Disney Co., uh, both of whom have financial interests in the game, were displeased with progress under Aspire, which ultimately led to the transition. All right, guys, so that is all we've got for Mr. Schreier today. And, well, not today, two weeks ago. Um, but that is very interesting to see. And, you know, to see that, well, it, it didn't really move hands too much. It just moved within the, you know, mothership that is Embracer Group. So it, they, it moved from one of their studios that they own to another one of their studios. So, I, you know, if what they saw was not adequate enough, then obviously this was the right decision to make because, and God knows, I mean, who knows how long they've had, you know, to work on it. Obviously they said here, it's going to take some time to get it, you know, uh, to a state where they want it to be. It's not going to be anytime soon. So even with them, you know, pivoting and having Saber take it over. So whatever was going on there, obviously it just was not up to snuff for Disney. It wasn't up to snuff for PlayStation because you know, this is one of their exclusives. You come on now. This is one of the big ones too. So they need to make sure Embracer Group, that is, needs to make sure that this game is polished, that this game is coming out right. Obviously, too, they want to do the story of Knights of the Old Republic justice. And I'm not saying that it doesn't have justice, but I'm saying if they're if you're going to do a remake of KOTOR, you've got to do it right. And they know they've got a lot of people that, they're, that they need to please. And if they don't, it's not going to be pretty, unfortunately. Because, you know, I am not one of them, but the Star Wars community, some of the super fans are horrible. And they are relentless and they will be, you know, go online and say stupid shit for no reason because they think they can. And they think nobody has feelings and they think that, you know, it's okay to do. And obviously it's not. Obviously you shouldn't be talking crap to these developers who are trying to do the right thing. And they're trying to create a game that everybody can enjoy, that everybody can love. So this stuff is hard. Obviously it is. Aspire couldn't, you know. I hate to say they couldn't do the job. And it's not that it's, it's nothing to be upset about. It's a matter of management, realistically. When everybody heard, and when we first saw that, oh, Star Wars, the uh, Knights of the Old Republic remake, 
And then Aspire came on. It's like, huh. Have they ever done a remake? Like a legit remake from the ground up? Have they ever built a game from the ground up? Or are they usually just doing like ports of stuff or doing remasters of stuff? They've never really done a remake and especially not a remake of this magnitude. And again, not saying that they can't and not saying, oh, just because they haven't, you shouldn't. But again, now knowing that they're under Embracer Group, you have a lot of teams under your belt who probably would be a little bit more fit to take on this massive role, especially with all of the, you know, handshakes and the deals that you're making regarding this. And I'm, you know, discussing it between Sony and Disney. These are huge conglomerates, huge companies. You've got to make sure that this game, you know, is on and popping. So why even second guess the studio that you're giving it to if they don't have the track record that can show that they can perform and they can do this? Again, I'm not trying to throw shade at Aspire. I just feel like that is a situation of bad management because it did not seem to anybody who from the outside looking in that that was a good fit for that studio. And then look what happened, you know, um, a year and a half later. They're not, it's not a good fit for them. They got the game stripped from them. So we could have avoided all of this with better management, better understanding of the teams that you have under your belt. But the next story that I want to talk about, the next Holocron, and again, I've said that we're going to be talking about these two together because it does go in relation to the last story that we talked about. This comes from Screen Rant. And this is a day ago. This was by Eric Hules. He goes, Star Wars needs a new RPG, not a KOTOR remake. Star Wars desperately needs its own Skyrim or Witcher so that players can live their own adventures rather than a Knights of the Old Republic remake. All right, so kind of a hot take there, right? Right off the rip, right off the gun. So let's kind of get into this. Let's dissect this and let's see if there is, you know, some tangible, you know, um, truth to this. Do we think that Star Wars needs, or I guess really do I think that if Star Wars needs a an RPG? Now I'm going to be, I, I'm going to rip the bandit off right now. I think we need a Star Wars RPG and we need a KOTOR remake. So how about that? Like, why can't we have both? Why does it have to be one or the other? I would love a KOTOR remake because I've never played KOTOR. And I want to play... The reason I haven't played it is because it's turn-based. I do not jive with turn-based games. That is my one area of gaming that I just cannot get past. And I've tried to. I just cannot. I, I literally cannot. So I... And I've even tried with KOTOR on um, the Xbox One. Could not get past the turn-based. So unfortunately... I will not be playing KOTOR if this remake doesn't come out. I will never be able to experience that story. I'm hoping with the remake that they do a similar combat style to um, Final Fantasy VII Remake. And I've said that before because I love that combat style. And it does still feel like it's, you know, helping people like me out who don't like the turn-based, but also keeping some of those turn-based aspects in there and rooted in there. So... When I see that, I'm like, no, I don't, I, I feel like we still need a remake, but we also need that RPG too. I would love a Star Wars RPG, but let's get into this. Let's see what Eric had to say. He says, the upcoming Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic remake is exciting, but what Star Wars really needs is an entirely new open world RPG adventure. Revisiting the classics is all well and good as it brings some great experiences to, new to a new generation. Exactly. With the KOTOR remake's indefinite delay, the benefits seem somewhat mute at the moment. The franchise would really shine, however, if its sights were set on creating a proper RPG where players can make their own adventures along the line of Skyrim or The Witcher 3. 
Doing so would lead to a game that stands out in the current library of Star Wars games, not to mention the exciting ways it could expand the lore. Following the end of EA's exclusive deal to make Star Wars games, Lucasfilm Games has announced a number of new titles set in the galaxy far, far away. While some of these continue to be developed at EA Studios, such as Respawn Entertainment's upcoming Star Wars Jedi Survivor, others have found a home at different publishers. An open-world Star Wars game from Ubisoft is currently in development, while the High Republic-set Star Wars um, Eclipse is being developed by the much-maligned Quantic Dream. Star Wars Eclipse looks set to be one of the more unique Star Wars games, thanks to it taking place during the High Republic, a new era in the canon timeline set hundreds of years before the events of Star Wars Episode I, The Phantom Menace. However, Eclipse seems like it may be more of a character-driven drama rather than an actual role-playing game. A new Star Wars RPG with an open-ended feel set in a new part of the mythos could make for a refreshing change to the of pace. Star Wars should look to immersive um, open-world games like Skyrim and The Witcher 3 as a template for a future RPG experience. Since a new Star Wars RPG could take inspiration from The Witcher and Skyrim. Star Wars boasts a massive universe with untapped potential that can be unlocked with an RPG in the vein of Bethesda games like Skyrim and Fallout. Allowing players to have the agency to interact with the story how they see fit is a thing rarely seen, if ever, in Star Wars games. Giving players the freedom to create their own characters and inhabit unfamiliar parts of the galaxy would fit the franchise well. It doesn't have to be highly in interconnected with the rest of the Star Wars media, but in a similar vein to the Old Republic, only not as an MMO, it would be nice for players to create their own Star Wars game uh, Jedi or protagonist and inhabit a part of the galaxy the way they want to. If this format is too open-ended, a game in the style of The Witcher 3 could work just as well. Even with the more authored protagonists like um, Geralt, it would still be fun to explore an open world and make choices that impact the story. Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic did a great job of this the first time, but as great as it, um, as great as it is to see it return, it would be better to see a completely new game that takes the franchise in directions it hasn't yet visited. All right, guys. So that is all we have there for that last holocron. And I've got to say, he does create some good points there. You know, I, you know, I, again, he's starting to, he started to talk about the customization stuff and the customization aspect of, um, you know, being able to have a Star Wars RPG. And I was sitting and thinking to myself, I'm like, but don't get, can't you create your character in KOTOR? But again, he did bring up it is an MMO. So it's not the same as, you know, these action RPGs where you get a sprawling world that you can go and explore on your own and literally tackle however you want. And again, I'm assuming we're getting away from turn-based, at least from how he's talking it with the examples that he gives. He gives Fallout, Witcher, um, the Bethesda RPGs. All of these are, you know, real-time combat. So I'm hoping, or not hoping, but I'm assuming that that's what he is referring to in that aspect, an RPG of that nature. And again, yeah, I would definitely love to see an RPG uh, Star Wars game. I am a fan of RPG games. I feel like they don't need all the bloat that we have seen over the years, but, um, you know, similar to the Geralt story or the um, Aloy story, those are RPGs, but they're focused RPGs. And again, 
we, I, I, as in the coming weeks or the previous weeks, I've talked about Assassin's Creed and how I do not really care for their RPG aspects. That's because they've bloated their RPG aspects out of the water and they've just, con- they've created a world that is just massive and it's like imploding in on itself because it's so big. And that's not what I really like. But when we're talking about they have reasons and concise reasons like the world of The Witcher 3, granted, not like my preference and setting but i did recognize how interconnected everything was in that game world and how real and lifelike everything felt when you were playing it and even the combat system as well so i you know i really want to see a star wars game in that nature where we are yeah getting away from mmo and we are just being a straight up rpg we are telling a story but you get to create your own character and carve your own story out in the star wars uh universe and again that's how that's what people felt when they played kotor the first time and that's why i kind of think it's a little weird that only thing that's weird about this article where he discusses you know like uh, the 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 necessity to want to you know be a part of this world and create a character when you you can do that in kotor you can and people have done that so it's not like we haven't and i understand it's not an RPG, an only RPG game. It's an MMO, as I've said, obviously. But that doesn't change the fact that you can still create a character. You can still carve out your own story in KOTOR, regardless of all of that. So I I really, well, again, I haven't played KOTOR, so maybe I, I could be talking out of my butt. I know uh, Revan comes into play. I'm not 100%, but because I do know that there is a character creator in there. That's what I'm saying, though. I know that, and I know that you can be whatever character that you want or unless i'm thinking of Knights of the old republic 2 where that was the case because that could be where i'm thinking of where you actually had to create a character and maybe kotor was where you just followed one either way though there was one of these games that you did and again that's where i'm sitting at i feel like that's a little off-putting but i would i would definitely like to see an rpg in the star wars aspect in this in this universe because that does that 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 kind of gameplay jives with me and that's kind of where i usually kind of sit and where i like to um put a lot of time into is these rpg games that's why i don't really spend a lot of time on multiplayer games because i'd rather get involved and invested in a story so if they can do that with a star wars game like we did a similar you know like we did with um jedi fallen order that was a damn good story, and it kept me going all the way through it. That's one of the reasons I pushed through that game was to see the story all the way through. It was hard at times, but I pushed through it because I needed to see the ending of that. All right, guys, let's land this puppy, and let's transition to Sony's State of Play. So we're just going to go, I'm going to go through and uh, discuss all the games that were announced, and uh, we're going to probably touch on some of them a little bit more than others, because some of them I I was really popping off for. But let us start here with the first game they announced, which is Tekken 8. So Cinematic was real dope, not even going to lie. I did, I'm not a huge fighter guy. You know what I'm saying? Tekken and Street Fighter kind of look the same to me. Uh, now, granted, Tekken is, I do know Tekken is like way darker, as in like has a darker tone than Street Fighter. But they, shoot, all the character models look the same. So I, I kind of get those two a little bit confused. But seeing that cinematic i was i was hooked i was like man this is an intense fight and then you know it was all cinematic don't get me wrong but there was a point where it kind of changed and it did look like it was showing what these moves would kind of look like in gameplay still a cinematic but showing off like kind of a 
a rendition of how it would be perceived when you're actually in combat, in like flowing in combat. So that was pretty cool to see. Now, I saw it said PS5. It just said when it, you know, at the end, it just said PS5 on it. So I am confused. Is it a an exclusive? They said, you know, they're working with their partners to bring this to the PS5 community. And I'm like, okay. So is it exclusive to PlayStation or is it just exclusive to the PS5? And we're going to see a, you know, this only go to current gen consoles. So I think we're going to have to wait and check that out. Wait for some more articles to be uh, lightened with that. But um, the next game that we have is Star Wars Tales from the Galaxy's Edge. Now, I originally thought that this was a game that was for a limited time on the um, on the Oculus. And watching it again, because I watched it over, and it doesn't actually seem to be the case. I think this is its own game. It is set in Galaxy's Edge, so obviously partnered... I mean, it's Disney, so it, but it's partnered with the parks to probably try to facilitate a actual story-driven game surrounding, you know, the lore of Galaxy's Edge. So you can kind of hop in that and do that before you get to the actual park, which, again, I've never been to Disney World or Disneyland, and the first time that I do, y'all already know. I And I've told my wife this, I don't care what you do, but I'm spending four days in Galaxy's Edge. And I, even if we're only there for two. I will I will pack in four days worth of hours in two days, all at Galaxy's Edge. Think I'm lying. So I am very pumped for whenever we, we do decide to, you know, take the plunge and start planning for that trip. We're kind of waiting for our daughter to get a little bit older because I want her to actually understand where she's at and in, and be able to remember this experience that she's at, you know, like that she's actually in the like a Star Wars world. I, I, I just I. It tickles me. I get goosebumps every time I think of, you know, her face walking into that. But I, I digress. I apologize. This game is a PSVR 2 game, though. Obviously, as I as I did mention, this was um, or a game that I thought was on the Oculus. So this is a PSVR 2 game. Um, so there are going to be a lot of puzzles there. There is some gunplay there, too, which was kind of weird to see. And that's why I was like, you know what? I do think that this is trying to tell a story in this world which is actually pretty cool but we do see multiple star wars characters in this as well we see r2d2 and we see c3po and hondo so that is like and to be able to see hondo there from the clone wars like that was wild i was like whoa 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 that that what what do you mean like i expect to see c3po and r2d2 like that's nothing but to see him that's a deep cut right there. You know what I'm saying? In this VR game, like, come on now. So very cool to see. Very excited for that one. The next game on the list, we've got Demio. Now, Demio is basically just a tabletop RPG, but first person on the game board. So you're basically, and again, this is another um, VR title, but you're basically this, uh, like one of the pawns that you would use on a game board. But you're that pawn in the VR in the VR space. So you're actually having to move around the game board. It's actually it looks pretty interesting. I'm not a huge you know like um, tabletop game person, but seeing it like this, that actually might be a cool way to experience a tabletop game. So I might check this one out. All right, guys. So the next game on this list, it started off, and I have no idea what I'm looking at realistically. You know, so. Um, we're, I, I believe we're in a, uh, I, I don't know either. It's a 
Japanese village. I'm not 100% sure. But um, we start off and you are, this character is having to fight these different enemies. And he's using a mixture of, you know, swordplay as well as gunplay as he's fighting. And very, it's very fluid, very fluidic. It feels like a, uh, like a devil may cry in a sense. And I'm just like, what is this game? What is this? I'm so confused. I don't know. What is this game? And sure enough, sure enough, this is like a dragon Ishin. And oh my gosh, I, I was completely taken aback. I had no idea that this was a Yakuza game. You know what I mean? Obviously, it's like a dragon, but that's what their their rebrand is now. So no idea at all. And that's because of the gameplay and the combat. That's not a combat that we've ever seen in the Yakuza game. So like that was very off-putting already from the jump. So to see them, you know, try to go back to the drawing board and do something a little different like that. Oh my gosh. Yes, I am here for that kind of stuff. And you know what? It looks very, very fun. Very fun. This might be the first Like a Dragon, Yakuza game, whatever you want to call them. This might be the first one that I actually end up completing. I've played Yakuza, one of the Yakuza games. I don't remember if it was um, the first one or if it was one of the later titles. I did not try uh, Like a Dragon because it's turn-based. And I kind of wanted to try Judgment, but I haven't taken the plunge yet at all. So this might be the one that I actually... Try to get, well, I do want to play it at number one. Number one, first and foremost. I, I want to get my hands on this one, so that's going to happen. But I might stick to, stick to the end with this one, just because of the combat itself. It's so different than what I've ever seen from them before. So, very cool. But, next up on the list, we have more news from Hogwarts Legacy. And you know what? Every time they show us something from this game, it seems like they're showing us a, a portion of a, um, like a quest that you can go on each each of the different uh gameplay trailers that we've seen it, that's what it feels like it doesn't feel like they're really showing us they're just showing us like literally a segment of a quest every single time and i don't have a problem with that i think that's really cool to show and it kind of is making this narrative or creating this narrative of this game is going to be a bunch of quests and a bunch of adventures that you can go on as a student of hogwarts and they don't necessarily have any rhyme or reason to do it. So, like, the one that they were showing in this trailer here today, or um, in this trailer for the State of Play, it was, uh, you're basically trying to buy a haunted shop. And you're buying it from one of the teachers. The teacher says that one of her people came to her and, and is having issues with the shop. She just wanted to get rid of it. And she came to you because she's like, hey, maybe you would want to deal with this. Or, you know, want to sh the shop for whatever. I don't know what a student would need a whole shop for. But she asks her and you oblige and you take it on. And then that, you know, opens up a wheelhouse of different things that you're having to do inside of the shop. And, you know, you're understanding the brevity of the situation. And what you actually bought realistically and it's just you know it, it's things like that but it doesn't seem very pertinent to a, an overarching story and that's the other thing too we don't really know what the story is here like what the the overarching theme is like what is what are you there to do and honestly that's what i'm saying here it feels like you're kind of just there to be a student of hogwarts and just get into hijinks whether that be buying a haunted shop or 
experimenting with the dark arts. Any one of those things you can do. You're just a student at Hogwarts. Here you go. Take the keys and run with it. That's what I'm. That's the vibe that I'm getting, at least from everything that we've seen so far of Hogwarts Legacy. And you know what? That still gets me super intrigued with it. Everything that I've seen, it's it's shaping up to be one of these games that I'm like, I, I'm gonna look back on and be like, wow, they actually did it. They did. They made a Hogwarts game where you feel like you are like you're Harry Potter, but you're not even him you know, like super cool. This is one, again, that I hope my wife will play. I thought that she would be all over Stray. She has still not taken the plunge on Stray, guys. I know. I don't understand why. You got to tell her that on the socials. Why are you not playing Stray? Sith Lord Sierra, hit her up. Anyway, um, I, so I'm thinking Hogwarts Legacy might be the game for her because she is a huge Harry Potter fan. So maybe, maybe we will see. For the next game up, we have Pacific Drive. Now, this one reminded me a lot of like um, storm chasers, right? Like these people who are chasing storms and putting themselves in in jeopardy to try to capture data that um, not any normal person would. And this seemed like that it had the same kind of vibes, but there's something off in this world that you're going in. So you definitely you're the whole entire trailer is taking place in a car, and you're trying to. I guess, get through this world. And there's a lot of stuff going on in this world. So there are these electricity um, beings or they're either beings or entities or something. Don't know. There was no real, you know, um, explanation as to what is going on. There were a lot of like segments of ground that were uh, shooting up into the air, creating pillars in your path as you're trying to drive. You're driving through the woods. It really seemed like it was kind of a mountain area because there's a lot of trees as you were even driving on um, the road but then you're also driving through the wood just straight up. So there's a lot going on here. You do have the ability to get out of the vehicle and maintenance the vehicle, so there is that. So it might be a similar a situation where you are trying to, the loop is maintaining your, um, your vehicle so that you can stay safe. Maybe that's the only way that you can protect yourself from these different things that are happening in the, um, in, in the game world. But again, I'm not 100% sure what, those things are that are that is that are flying around are they ghouls are they entities are they paranormal um paranormal entities is what i was really saying are they aliens i did think about that towards the end of the video i was like hmm actually what if they're aliens what if that's what is going on so i don't know but very intrigued by pacific drive and uh looking forward to see more on this game as the months co go on so we take a little bit of a breather and we uh, touch on PlayStation Stars on the program that should be launching, uh, well, realistically, it will be launching in Asia at the end of September and other regions soon after. So in the next like a uh, few, I think they said two to three weeks, they should be launching in the USA, Canada, UK, I think in a bunch and a bunch more as again, the weeks go on. But they kind of showed a little bit of the different collectibles that we will be able to acquire with doing the different tasks. And not going to lie, they're not bad. You know, they're not bad. They're these three-dimensional, um, these 3D kind of um, like trophies in a sense. You know what I mean? If Think of it. If any of you guys have played um, Astro's Playroom, then you will know exactly what I'm talking about when I say these 3D models because they're the exact things that you unlock in Astro's Playroom. When you are going back to your hub world and where you can go to the different levels and everything – 
that world you have all these things that you or no it's actually um into the lab where you can go back and you can see your collectibles but all of those collectibles that they have there they look just the same as they do on playstation stars and i guarantee you they had a they had a light bulb switch click off when playstation or when uh Everybody got their hands on Astro's Playroom and they started collecting all that stuff and sharing their experience of how awesome it was to have a, you know, a, a three-dimensional PS3 console that they can move around and look at and stuff like that. That was really cool. And I think they took that and ran with it for PlayStation Stars. So very excited, very, very excited to see, uh, to for this to launch really and for us to see kind of what the parameters are for getting these collectibles. But I am looking forward to seeing what they do and how PlayStation Stars evolved over the months. But let's get back to some games. So we've got Sin, uh, Sin Duality, I believe. It's S-Y-N. So I'm going to assume it's Sin or Sign Duality. Uh, but this is a mech combat game. Not 100% sure if it's open world or not. But the loop looks like it's resource collection, right? So you're going out in the world, you're collecting these different crystals, and you're bringing that back to then build a better base for operations. At least that's kind of the vibe that I was getting at when I saw it. And um, again, cool. That's awesome. The things that you're fighting, they look like robot hound cyborgs, if that makes any sense. I don't exactly know what those things were, but they, again... They're on all fours. They've got a weird thing on their head. I couldn't really make out if there was fur. And that's why I don't know if they're really a cyborg or if they're just robotic hounds. But they definitely are uh, a somewhat of a hound nature, for sure. And that's the only enemy that I saw in the game. You might have to go up against other mechs. There was a scene that kind of looked like there was a mech kind of uh, behind some smoke. So that could be um, a different aspect. There was a bigger version of the Hound that you had to fight. That was probably like a boss battle. And again, this could just be one area that they were showing off because they don't want to give everything away. Maybe that is the case. We've got one area with this enemy. You go to the next area and you're having to tackle either the previous enemy and a new one, or you just go and deal with a whole different variety of enemy in the new area. I'm not 100% sure because we didn't really get that much, but... Looking forward to see where we go from here because I'm always down to see, you know, a good mech combat game. And if this is a single-player narrative-driven game, yeah, let's do this. So, next game on the list. And now we're getting to the two games that are officially, from what they the State of Play said, and, or what the uh, narrator told us, these are PS5 exclusives for sure. So, we've got Project Eve which is no longer Project Eve anymore, guys. This is now called Stellar Blade. So, again, PS5 exclusive here, but we did see this at the last State of Play, and I want to say we may have seen this at last year's showcase, uh, PlayStation showcase, uh, around this time last September. I I'm not 100% sure if it was at the last showcase, but it definitely was in a previous State of Play that we saw this year for sure. So, as soon as I saw this, and I, I immediately knew what it was. Not immediately. It had to get probably about a good 10 to 15 seconds in uh, when we started seeing, um, like, some of the character models. And then that's when I realized, like, ah, you know what? I think we saw, I, we've seen this game. I know what this is. I don't remember the name, but I know this game. And then, sure enough, I don't even need to remember the name because it's not the name no more. But um, combat still looks just as intense as it did when we first saw it. It's very intense very responsive uh the different weapons are really cool as well there are there was a weapon that she took out now, this was a cinematic but again you can still do this she took it out and it like transformed all uh up her arm and created this like 
kind of long rifle along the uh, the length of her arm. Very cool. And all the particle effects were just amazing. When you're seeing all of this kind of go on on the screen, it's just crazy how much stuff is really happening. You know what I mean? And if I wasn't sold on the game before, I am now. And for real, I actually was pretty much sold on this game because I do like that fast frenetic combat and it being so super responsive. I love combat that's like that. It feels super satisfying for me. So if I can get a game like that, that's also going to show off everything that the PS5 has to offer. Sign me up. All right, guys. So the next game we've got, and this is, again, another PS5 exclusive, is Rise of the Ronin. Now, this one, oddly enough, looks similar to Like a Dragon Ishin. So this game, again, it is an open world game. I believe it's set in China. And the combat is a mixture of sword fighting, gunplay, and special abilities. It's very stylistic, but those special abilities do come into play when uh, you're, you know, trying to take down bigger enemies. But the fact that you can switch between sword fighting and gunplay at the same time is crazy. And I mean, they did a really, really good job of trying to, you know, incorporate all of these different techniques all under the same combat style, right? And it's still moving and feeling like it works. So... This one's coming out in 2024, so we don't really know a lot about this one. Obviously, it's a way farther out. You know, God knows when in 2024 they're trying to launch. So we've got a whole year of speculation and, you know, uh, of them to have more uh, uh, details to show to the public. So let's give them some time and let's kind of see where development takes this one. But then, guys, it is now time to end the show. Not this show, but the state of play. And they decide to end it on, you already know, God of War Ragnarok, baby. Oh, yeah. And I mean, like, so much so, guys, I already knew that God of War was coming, number one, because I heard about it. I heard that, you know, there was a new trailer for it. So I already had it on my list at the very bottom. Just God of War Ragnarok, let's go. What you got to tell me? And literally, I was not prepared for an announcement of a God of War-themed controller. Like, what? I was the, what? And I didn't even hear about this. Now, I've been trying to stay, you know, stay away from the news because I didn't want to get spoiled on the state of play. But, like, dude, I did not know anything about this controller. And nor did I think they were going to do a customized controller for this game. Why didn't we see a customized controller for uh, Horizon Forbidden West? I know why, because it's not God of War. That's why. <laughs> like, let's be honest. But um, my only question and my only beef with this is, where are the side plates, Sony? Where are they at? You're going to come out with the controller, but you can't come out with the, the side plates? So what, I'm supposed to get this white and freaking blue controller to go with my purple side plates or my what? The gray camel side plates or the baby blue side plate? None of it's going to match with this, Sony. It's only going to match with the white side plates. Nobody wants that. Come on now. Put those side plates out. You know you got them in the warehouse. Anyway, um, so after the announcement of the controller, it looks really nice. We then get into the gameplay of God of War Ragnarok. Now, I know we've seen gameplay before, but something about this one just hit different. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, seeing Atreus have to talk to his dad in the way that he is now granted we all remember you know little uh little baby boy uh atreus 
back in the first game after he had to deal with, you know, um, his dad being gone for God knows how long. And he, you know, was defending himself for an obscene amount of time. He got a little chip on his shoulder and then started having an attitude, having a little teenage teenage attitude. And you started to be like, you know what, Atreus? Kratos could just knock you on your rocker right now, bro. You know what I'm saying? Like, you don't know who you're talking to, bro. You got, you better you better reel it in real quick, real quick. This is a different Atreus, though, in this. And it's very, you can see it in this trailer. He's trying to help his father. He's trying to make him understand the brevity of this situation and what is going to happen if he continues down whatever path he is. Because obviously, they're trying to keep this as, you know, nip uh, close to the chest as possible they don't want this story to get out there because it's going to be a it's going to take us on a ride and we see a third character that uh kratos saves and he seems to be along for some part of the journey not sure how long or how much of the journey but he definitely is a part of the journey after you save him um you know after you know one of the story beats and he follows you around so don't know what's going on with that, but we see this bond between Atreus and Kratos as it's, you know, growing, as Kratos, as uh, Atreus is growing into a man, we see this bond between father and son grow as well. And there was a part in the trailer where both of them are just sitting, they're just, you know, sitting and they're looking at a an orange sky, an orange sky, one of the coolest things in this trailer, by the way sitting in this under this orange sky next to two big ass wolves and Atreus just stands up quivers up his or takes an arrow out and shoots an arrow at the sun slash moon and then this little spirit I guess or something comes off on the side of the screen and follows the arrow and then the the sun falls down or I guess it's the moon the moon falls down no, it is the sun. Yeah, so the sun falls down. He hits the sun with the arrow. That's what made it fall. And then the sky splits into two. And then it's now nighttime. And it looked like it. It, it looked like they went into a, a completely different dimension. And honestly, I feel like that is probably how Kratos got to uh, the new realm. That is realistically, he's probably teaching Atreus how he did it, how he got to that world that he was in, where we found him in the last game. And again, if we're showing Atreus this, again, this is purely speculation on my part, but if we're showing Atreus this, then do we see him kind of, you know, uh, or is that them moving to another realm? You know what I mean? As he's showing him this, he's also trying to escape to a new realm. Very cool to see. I cannot wait for this game, but again, the very last part of this trailer ends with Kratos and Thor going at it, and not only Thor, and again, I know that this is how he was portrayed in um, in the mythology, but it's Fat Thor, and I love it. it it's, like, it's like they know that people watched Marvel and thought Fat Thor was hilarious, and they were like, you know what? We're going to do it here, too. No, I'm joking. They realistically probably did it because it is actually historically correct. The Thor that we all know from Marvel is not. But 
Um, very cool to see that at the very end. I had to pause it and rewind it and show my wife, and she literally almost lost her shit too. So very, very cool to see. Very cool way to end this state of play for us to see another look at God of War Ragnarok. Do we think we're going to get another one before November? We've got one more month until November. Honestly, we still may. We could. Just a God of War state of play. But at the same time, they don't need to. They've got everybody's money on this one. They don't need to do nothing else with this. And they're going to sell Buku copies of this game. And I cannot wait for November 9th. But guys, I do think it's time for us to touch down for the night. Thank you for joining me on episode 28 of the JMR Podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at Jedi Master Ren. Remember, the R in Ren is the same R for Master. And don't forget, you can follow the show there as well for all future updates. Be sure to use my code Jelani40328 at Zox.LA. But as always, may the Force be with you. <laughs>